0: Good morning again. Um, This morning, as you may see on the screen behind me, uh, we're going to be looking at the God who creates. Um, This morning will be the second sermon uh, in our summer theological series seeking to answer the question, who is God? Which should be about a 10-week series, depending upon the arrival of Isabella. We're not quite sure when she will get here. um, And she does have a name now. Uh, Well, half of a name. We still got to get a middle name. Uh, And so uh, depending upon that arrival will depend upon how long this series is. But what I have projected to is the Sunday before the due date, which means David will start his series on Philippians around the last Sunday of the month or the first Sunday of September. I'm not sure which one it is. But this will be uh, projected 10 weeks. And though we normally practice here at Redeemer preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible regularly, uh, the elders, we felt that it was a good moment to step away to preach through this series. Um, There's a lot of reasons, but the primary reason that this will be beneficial for us is due to our desire as a church to be theologically sound and robust. Now, obviously, this happens week in and week out as we preach through God's Word, as we sing theologically rich songs, as we sing together, pray together, study God's Word together in community groups. Um, But in reality, our hope is that this study will help us renew a better understanding of who God is, Which would lead us, prayerfully at least, to know, pray, to, to worship and to serve Him more faithfully in our personal lives, but also as a church. Now, as I said in previous weeks, uh, last week at least, and I'll say it again almost every week, is that if you're here or if you're watching this morning and um, you have questions about any of the topics addressed, then please reach out to me uh, directly, phone call, email, whatever the case may be. uh, Reach out to me and we can have conversations about those things. Uh, But outside of that, I just want to jump in this morning uh, and look at our just topic at hand. And we're going to be looking at the God who created the God who created. And what we're going to specifically be looking at is that God has created all things and his creation was very good, which is a catechism question that our kids have walked through very early on here at Redeemer, but one that me and our children uh, address regularly in our lives. And the reason why we're going here after we looked at last week, the God who reveals himself, was really primarily because the way in which God reveals himself is through... um, general special and then even delivering himself uh, as a infant being born but in that idea of general revelation it's done through creation but another reason is because we the reality and the goodness of this is that we can know god the god who has been known by god through his creation now in this what we're going to be looking at is in four different sections Um, So we're not just going to read Genesis 1 and then go home, though that would be much quicker. Uh, We're going to be looking at a God that created, or the God who created, by looking at that He created by a triune God, created as a free act of God, created from nothing, and created to be dependent. I'm going to say those four again, that we're going to look at them in just a little bit, is that we're created by a triune God, created as a free act of God, created from nothing, and created to be dependent. And so, first and foremost, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. And the reason why I'm praying now, so after reading scriptures, because this sermon is different than our usual ones, where I don't just have one long scripture that I'm going to read and dissect. I have a lot of scriptures that just kind of explore these topics for us. And so, let's pray together, and then we'll jump into this uh, aspect of the God who created. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for this time together to discuss your word. And we pray now that as we look at the God who created God, that is you. God, you're the one that has made us in everything on this earth, and everything that is natural and spiritual. And so, Father, you are worthy to be prayed to and worthy to be explored in this manner. God, my prayer would be is that as we explore many, many scriptures and aspects of you creating god i pray that it would be beneficial to our souls and our minds we love you we thank you so the god who created first and foremost we're going to see the god that created by a triune god the the reality here though is when you do read genesis chapter one you see this explanation of how god created But that really doesn't start until uh, just a few verses into chapter one. The very first verse kind of explains exactly what was going on. It says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is significant because it's declaring first and foremost who is the creator, which is God. Now, the reality here, though, is created by a triune God may sound like an intimidating topic. Because it is. Um, and the reason why it's intimidating is because we're talking about the work of the Trinity in creation. And the Trinity, in all honesty, being that there is one God in three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that, that's something that we, it's not easy for us to understand or comprehend. It's, it's difficult because it's just hard. But the reality here, though, is that we don't just see God the Father creating. We don't just see God the Son or God the Spirit. And what I would argue is that it says in the beginning God created. What he's talking about here is the whole nature of God, the whole triune reality of who God is, not just the Father. Though oftentimes in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, we see when it says God, it's often referring to the Father. So, how do we see this, though? How do we see the triune nature of creation? How do we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit active in creating all things? Well, first and foremost, we will walk through the natural progression of the Father. So, in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 6, they're not on the screen. You're welcome to turn. Um, I would just maybe make note of it, or you can ask me to send you this PDF, and i would be glad to. Um, but first and foremost, God the Father, in First Corinthians chapter eight, verse six it says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we all exist, and the one Lord Jesus through whom all things were through whom we exist. Now, in this particular verse, we see the nature of the Son mentioned as well, not yet the spirit, so we 're going to kind of tackle the son aspect in just a moment but we're going to focus here on the first end. He says, yet for us, there is one God, meaning there is one God, and as we already explored in three natures, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But it says there is one God, but he's specifically talking about the Father here, from whom all things and whom we exist. That the, the God, the Father, is active in creation, is that through Him and from Him, not only is all things created, but we as individuals exist. Paul is writing this to the church of Corinth. The second aspect, though, is God the Son. How is God the Son active in creation? Well, we begin by looking at that same set of Scripture. This is in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Now, which makes me think about even John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit makes all things, but specifically, it is made by and through Jesus. The reason why this makes sense is because when you begin this statement, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And I'm going to ask for some participation here in this question. It's be a pretty simple question. Is How does Genesis 1 tell us God created all things? From nothing. From nothing we're going to get there. By speaking. Let there be. Through the power of the Father and the effort of the Son, the Word of God, things were created. But the presence of the Spirit is noted as well. I mean, just look at verse 2 of Genesis 1, if you're still there. Since the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Spirit of God present in creation but job thirty three four listen to this, the Spirit of God has made me, and the earth of the Almighty gives me life. See all three aspects of the Trinity, all three persons of God is actively the ones that were actively creating all things. This is significant because we see the accumulation of it all in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is when we see that God makes man. And how does he make man? says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This isn't new knowledge or anything of that nature. This isn't revolutionary. But look at the terms being used here. Let us make man in our likeness, in our image. Who is the us here? It is simply the Trinity of God in actively creating not only the earth and the heavens, not only the physical and the spiritual, but specifically man. And in that, God created man special. God created man, by man, I mean man and woman, to have dominion in, in his likeness. In his likeness, referring to God created man to be his representatives on earth. That we are to be image bearers of God. We are special, we are important, we are crucial in the plan of God. We are to represent and glorify God in all that we do. And we see even in this is that Adam and Eve are called to work before the fall occurs. And in their working, in their keeping, in their dominion, they're so showing glory to the Father. So the primor- primary focus here though is there is a God who created and he is the God, and he created in all three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that all come to an end with creating man in their image. The second thing about the God who created is that God created as a free act of God. Now, this statement may sound confusing as well, created as a free act of god because we don't talk like that we don't communicate like that that's wooden that's choppy that doesn't make sense in our in our normal speech but with this kind of getting at here well i want to i want to read an individual to kind of make it make sense this guy's name is burkhoff he was a fantastic theologian he says creation is sometimes represented as a necessary act of God rather than a free act determined by His sovereign will. However, this is not scriptural position. What he's saying here and what he's referring to here and what we mean by the free act of God is that God did not have to create. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit was perfectly unified and satisfied in one another from the beginning of all His his existence from the foundation of all things, that before there ever was, before there was a time or place, before there was anything, they were perfectly content in one another in the communion and relationship in which they had with each other. God did not have to make the earth. He did not have to make us. He did not have to do any of those things. He was perfect in and of himself. But God created in two ways here. He created according to the counsel of His will, and, beca- according, uh, and He created by self, a self-sufficient God. This is how we're going to understand that God created as a free act. By free act, once again, I just want to plainly say what I mean by that is that He did not have to create, but He chose to create. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to skip over the first part. I'm going to read it all, and I'm going to jump to the end of it. It says in him we have obtaining an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now we're going to talk about the power and sovereignty and all of those things of who God is later in this sermon series. But what we see right here, very basically, it says of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In God creating us, he was fulfilling his will. His sovereign will. That God was doing something that God intended and desired to do, not because He needed us, or not because, essentially, and I am taking a jab at a song right now, not because He needed heaven, uh, He could not have heaven without us, or not that He desired us so much so, and not because He had to have us in any kind of way, because God is self-sufficient. Acts 17.25 since says, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed uh, anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What can we offer to God but filthy rags? God did not need us. God did not have to have us. We did not have to be glorifying the Father for Him to be glorified. God created all things as a free act. See, that same Burkhoff guy says the Bible teaches us that God created all things according to the counsel of his will and that his self-sufficient and is not dependent on his creatures in any way. Though God does desire to use us, he does not need us. Though God, certainly in the book of Acts, we see that God actively, supernaturally worked in the life of individuals and then did not leave it there, but then used an ordinary means to bring them to himself. For the example of Paul himself, he interacts with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, shown by a light. But does he get saved there? No. He goes into Damascus, he's chilling in this random guy's house until Ananias comes and prays over him and he receives the Spirit of God. Did God need Ananias to do that by no means? But God desired, which I think is the good news, right? The reality here is that because God created as a free act, because he did not have to, but desired to, it shows us something about the God who did create us. God does not need you. You are not significant. God does not need me. I am not significant. But God loves us and He desires us and He wants to have a relationship with us through Christ Jesus. God does not create by accident because God is creating to the counsel of His will. God is not creating anything by accident but with a purpose and with a plan and with a desire in mind. So we have a self-sufficient God that does not need us but desires us and does not only desire us, but He has a plan for us. There is joy to be found in knowing that we're not in some cosmic accident that occurred through a big, big bang or occurred through some random act in some form of creation. That God purposely created us, not because He needed us, but because he desired to glorify himself in us. Which then gets us to the third thing, which I think is going to be the shortest thing, but my favorite thing. All these other things are cool. Uh, They're awesome that God can do these miraculous things. And I know David's going to have a flashback to 2010 or 12, and he's going to go all anti on us here. Um, But God created from nothing. Ex nihilo, which uniquely enough is not found anywhere in the Bible, the word at least. See, so next ex nihilo is a Latin word that means something from nothing, essentially. Uh, and this Latin words uh, is the first place it's found in, it, it really in Christian history at least, is from the Apocrypha. It's not even in Scripture, and so, but it's it's a word that may not be in Scripture, but it's so crucial and helpful for us to understand the way in which God created. That God created everything there is from nothing. Take for example Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, there was nothing. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into being, right? There was nothing. The only thing that there was was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity in relationship one to one another. There was no dust, there was no molecule, there was no water, there was nothing. There was only God. See, Hebrews chapter 11, 3. Though this word ex nihilo is not found anywhere in Scripture, Hebrews chapter eleven three kind of explains to us the principle of ex nihilo, meaning from, some, from nothing something, or something from nothing. Either way. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible, that are invisible. What this means. Is that God didn't take something visible and something that was already pre existent to create things, but rather God took absolutely nothing. The thing that was invisible was his power, his might, his sovereignty, and created all things. That he spoke and everything came into existence. And this is this will never shock me enough. For example, how many of you guys ever built anything? Or oh, ladies. Name the last thing you built. Lemonade stand. An island. An island. Lemonade stand, an island. Okay? Those things are cool. Uh, they're miraculous nonetheless, right? Because have you ever built a lemonade stand before? No. Do you ever build an island before? No. You learn how, right? And like, after you've made that, you, you find much joy in knowing that it's made. Like, every time, I don't know if you've seen that lemonade stand often now, Troy, but every time you see it, you're, you're amazed by it. You're like, man, I made that. It's almost like that moment after you cut your grass you're like man i did this it's awesome it, it happened um but david you pass that island every day because i'm assuming it's the island in your kitchen and you made it right and every day you think about it and we have a table in our home that we call the the mall table and it's the table that as you come through our back door which you never do because we all shut that door and make you come through the front door uh, but it's that table in the laundry room that we used to use as an awesome coffee bar but we have no place for an awesome coffee bar anymore Um, But that table is referred to the Maumau table. Why? Because Maumau made the table with the help of Sarah and her father and other people. But the reality is they made that table. She made that table specifically. And it's an awesome table. She carved a design in it and some cool things and like i look at that table i'm like man that's awesome she took this random scrap wood she made this awesome table stained it i didn't break it the times that we moved it to to the old house to the new house to the new house i didn't break this thing i'm, I'm so happy about that uh, but she did an awesome job making this see but the reality is she used something to make that you use something to make that lemonade stand you use something to make that bar But God didn't take something that was pre-existing and made it. Rather, he made something that made something that made something. It's such an amazing aspect of life. God God not only made everything from something, from nothing. God made all things. Some of it came from nothing. But there is an aspect of God that created things from other things. Think about who man is. How was Adam created? You can... Say it again. Dirt. dirt. So Adam was certainly created from something, but it was still the active creation of God to make him. Because if I pile up dirt in my front yard, I'm not going to magically make a person there. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to breathe on the dirt and the dirt come to life. This isn't Elsa in Frozen, chapter, Frozen 1, right? The reality, though, is that God is that God. That not only created all things from nothing, but some of his creation came from his other creation. The fourth thing of who God is. Is that God created to be dependent. See, we said, said a minute ago from Acts chapter seventeen twenty five is that God did not need us. He is a self-sufficient God. But the reality is we are not self-sufficient people. God created his creation to be dependent upon their creator. That same guy I mentioned earlier, Burkhoff, he says this. He says, While God gave the world an existence distinct from his own, he did not withdraw from the world after creation, but remained in the most intimate connection with it. The universe is not like a clock which was wound up by God and now allowed to run off without any further divine intervention. I love that phrase there. And I, this is what I use often, but you can't use it as much now because the watch I have, and I think the watch that is probably on everybody's hand in this room right now that has a watch on. It's an Apple watch. So it's not wound. It's not just going. But there is a watch. Well, one's got a, No, he's got an Apple watch too. There is a watch out there, right, that it actually charges itself throughout the day. Um, And it it never loses battery, it never loses life. Why? Because it is wound. And that clock would never need changing. God didn't create us in this world like that. He didn't just create everything and then step away from it as if he wasn't going to interact with it. Now, I'm certainly one to believe that on the seventh day when God rested, he rested in a sense of all of his perfect will was going to unfold on the earth. That God, before the foundation of the world, predestined his son to be a redemption for those who would believe and trust in him. I believe that the work of God was complete altogether on that sixth day and on the seventh day he rested. But God is still actively intervening in the life of his people and the life of the world around us. I think of a lot of examples for this. I think of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, and Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred as your father's house to the land in which I will show you. You know who Abram was? He was from the land of the Chaldeans, which was pagan people. It wasn't just some descendants of Noah necessarily that were godly people. He came from a pagan nation and took Abraham out of it and then developed his own people within it. God was actively pulling people and moving people and doing his will in this earth. As right now, I'm reading through Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, time in, time out, you see the judgment of God on display to the Israelites, to Judea, to all of these individuals by the hands of wicked men and women. And in there, there's still a promise from the prophet, from God to the prophet, that God will deliver his judgment on them one day. But even in the book of Acts, we saw the interaction of God. Even like one of the last sermons we preached in Acts was Peter's escape from prison. And how does he escape from prison? An angel of the Lord comes to him, wakes him up, brings him out of jail, doors open him magically, he comes to Mary's house, and he is rescued. How? Because God was directing and helping and interacting with his people. God did not create a creation and then step away from it. He created it to be dependent upon him. I think the greatest way The greatest way we see that reality, though, is found in the same scripture that Troy read just a little while ago. Same scripture we actually closed with last Sunday. It's Hebrews 1, verses 1-3. through It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, we're going to pause there, we see the interaction of God through the Old Testament and the prophets of the people. He spoke to us, By his Son. In the last day, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So this is God the Son, the one whom the world was created through and by. But what does it say in verse 3? He is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why is this important? It's because the number one way in which we see that God created things that was dependent upon him and he didn't step back and just let it go the way in which it would go. Is that he sent his son? He sent himself in flesh that would be born of the virgin, that would be laid in a manger, that would eventually have to run for his life for a period of time as an infant so that the king would not kill him. Then would live his life for around 30 years, begin a ministry calling out the, the inconsistency and sinfulness of individuals while showing much grace and mercy to those who were receptive of his, his work in their lives. That would only bring some point of restoration, but also would also bring so much calamity to the religious people of the day and time that they would desire to kill and murder him. And so not only was he a God that that stepped into human flesh and was born a virgin birth and all these amazing things, but he was a God who humbled himself to the point of even death and death upon the cross. So the number one way we see God interacting with his people is not the prophets of the Old Testament, not an angel pulling Peter out of jail, but the fact that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came down, was born, and died for the sake of those who would believe and trust in him. See, we have a God that's created all things. and Because he has created all things, he has made us, We're owned by Him. We're dependent upon Him. And we're accountable to Him. But in Christ's Christ's particular work of salvation, it shows an interaction that causes us to be dependent upon God, not only for life and breath and food, but the greatest need we have, and that is spiritual life. And so, as sure you're ready to come and lead us in this last song, my very plain walk away for us this morning is that if we have a God, and I would argue, and I think you all would agree with me, if we have a God that has created us in these manners and created us in these ways and for this reasons, then isn't that God worthy to be praised? Isn't that God worthy for us to commit to hearing more from Him through the word in which He has given us as we saw last week? Isn't He a God who is worthy for us to pray to, to communicate to, to live in light of so that we can glorify Him with everything that we do? See, if this is the God whom we serve, we have no problem. We have no struggle that is greater than Him. If He created all things, that means He created all things that are good and bad. And if He has created all things that are good and bad, and by bad, I mean natural disasters and tornadoes and hurricanes. If He created a a place that would cause these things and allowed sin to make His creation different than as He originally planned, and it was by His design and His will, then we have a God that is bigger than everything we will ever face in this world. Or as I like to tell Lottie. Is if God is the one that made us. He is bigger than any monsters. Or any bad guys. And we can trust in that God. Heavenly Father we love you. We thank you. God we pray now that you would be glorified. In all things. And Father as we declare who you are. One last time. By just. Sing a song that declares the triune nature of who you are. God, as we speak of your work, God, as we seek the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Spirit, God, let this song be our anthem as we go into this week. God, let this be what we actually believe, not only in our hearts and our minds, but experientially in the way that we live our lives. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in your son's great and wonderful name. Amen.